That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. A Dear Media original podcast. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Wine Face, where we're breaking down everything the experts know about wine in a fun, digestible, and accessible way because wine is for enjoying and wine is for everyone. I'm your host, Helen Johannesson from Helen's Wines in beautiful Los Angeles, California. And new trend in my household is... Guy, my son is drinking from this really cool sippy cup that it doesn't have like a spout. It's like gets him acting like he's drinking from a rim, but it has this technology. I'm talking like it's like an alien. I'm like, it's this technology, but he could like tip it upside down and it won't spill out. So it's really cute. And he suddenly likes milk, which is really interesting. And we'll be like, do you want some milk? Or get us leche? And he goes, moo. So he's never seen a cow being milked. So it's like perplexing. But Skye is, you know, he's getting ready to hold a real glass. That's what I'm getting to. He's getting ready to hold a real glass. Oh, and by the way, like my husband came home with vanilla milk for him and and chocolate milk. And I was like, he is so lucky you're his dad because I would be like, you get just fat, like whole milk. That's it, dude. That's it. But it's kind of fun to treat your kids. So today, though... We're not talking about children's milk cups, even though we could get into it. You know, like kids, gear is a whole thing, Um, but it has nothing to do with wine and it's not really what I'm passionate about. So we're not going to do that. We are talking about glassware. What is the deal? Where did it come from? What's the use? What's the point? Couldn't we all just drink out of thimbles like mice? I mean, we could, but that would be really kind of treacherous because we're bigger than mice. This is not ratatouille. I guess that's a rat. Okay. So today's episode is about glassware, specifically when it comes to wine, because in, in the whole world of glassware, you know, in the professional sense, there's literally so much glassware that you could have in a restaurant, in a bar, That's wine-specific, cocktail-specific, situation-specific. There's traditions in America. There's traditions in Europe. Like, it's really kind of mind-boggling and deep. And I love having a lot of different glasses at my house, which I will get into at the end. And I'm going to just put this out there into the podverse. At the beginning, I am coveting some really cool blown glass Pilsner glasses with a foot. So it would 
beer or like a proper beer glass. I don't know. It's like an inverted triangle. My uncle has some that were my great grandmother's and they are literally divine. He lives on a farm and there's nothing chicer than him going over to his pony keg and he like taps the pony keg with these like insanely chic glasses for beer on a farm. And I'm like, the beer does taste better. All right. But let's get into it because today we're talking about wine glasses. I think this is a little bit of a hot button issue, you know? People feel either intimidated by it or they're like, I am a bull in a china shop. I break glasses. But let's just break down what is the deal? Where did they come from to start? So way back in the day, I think it's like third century, like that's a long ass time ago, the very first glasses that were used to drink wine were made from either pottery or silver. Um, if you know me, you know I hate metal glasses. Like passionately, I do not want to drink wine out of a metal glass. To me, it tastes more metallic. So pottery is kind of cool, but it's a little bit porous. But this was pre-glass. Like they just, that they were drinking with what they had. So that was way, way back in the day. But wine glasses, you know, a, a version-ish to what we know now. So a vessel made out of glass that is used to drink wine dates back to medieval times, but specifically in Venice where glass blowing was and still is quite relevant. I mean, Murano glass, we die, we die. But it's kind of crazy because way back in the day in Venice, like 1400s, like people had figured out how to make water alkaline enough to blow glass, like to purify it. I don't know a lot about glass blowing, but maybe we can all do a class together. But issues ensued because the science behind it wasn't developed as fully. And basically people, if they brought their glass cup out into like a hot sunny day or it was raining or basically temperature varied in any heat or soggy way that the glasses would literally like disintegrate. So there was nothing in the glass, like crucial elements to hold it together. And we'll talk about this at the end because this is also why people really want like lead-free crystal because there are elements needed to keep glass together, keep it durable, keep it stable, especially if you're trying to have a crystal glass. But this is pre-crystal, okay? So then, you know, glass, look, this is not an encyclopedia about glass, but they had, you know, an evolution. And so we fast forward to when the English, they were like, let's pick up this glass baton and run it. And they were going to use wood to burn the fires, to blow glass and make some dope ass wine glasses. But at the time, there was an issue with deforestation because all of the English forces, they were trying to build ships. So the Navy, the British Royal Navy, they needed to prioritize the forests for ships. So all the glass blowers in England had to look to coal and they found sea coal, which they used in their fires to make them super duper hot and found that it actually made the glass quite stronger. And this is also how the glass, like the thick glass bottles that are used for champagne were formed. I, if you listen to my episode about the history of champagne, which is just a fabulous little nugget and fun and like drink champagne all the time, you know, there was a lot of trial and error with 
you know, getting champagne to what it is today. And part of it was its volatility. And you need a glass strong enough to contain all that mojo. That's right. Champagne got mojo. So anyway, the British picked it up. They perfected a more durable glass. And so it ensued. People had wine glasses. But what's so interesting about history and the history of the wine glass just to not dwell on history too much, but the way that glasses were used in socially, also as part of a meal or not part of a meal, changed so much throughout time. There were so many iterations, like way back in the day when there was like the very first wine glasses in in Venice, like people drank wine very slowly in the medieval times apparently, but like drank ale very quickly. Now, I don't know if I trust my sources on that, but it fast forward to a brief trend in the 1700s when people didn't actually like keep their wine glass in front of them. Their valet or their footman would like be the boss of their glass and bring it over to them. They'd pour a little wine in it, take a shot and give it back to the valet or footman. Obviously, this is people of a certain class. I know that, but it was like not the trend if you were at a dinner party to have your wine glass on the table. And I'm sure there were several iterations of this trend whatever socioeconomic place you were at in 1700s. The plague. Okay, it's not the plague. So it was short-lived. And soon after that, wine glasses and wine bottles moved onto tables. And thus, I think, began everyone's aching desire for a more attractive wine glass. And yes, that is what we're really digging into because there's so many beautiful glasses in the world today. How did we get here? Glass used to be incredibly expensive. There were lots of taxes. And that's why historically, up until a certain point, wine glasses were really small. And maybe you would just take a shot or you drink the wine really slowly. But once the tax on glass was removed, glass size began to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And stems were invented. And I stand by this. You know, if you ask me, do you want a wine glass or like a tumbler? I'll always say wine glass. And it's because stems were invented because hot hands on the bowl of the glass do not mix well when you're trying to maintain a certain temperature of your wine. But that leads me to what is the anatomy of a wine glass, right? There is a technical anatomy. Now let's start at the top. The top is the rim. So the rim is literally where your mouth is going to touch the glass. Then there's the bowl, which is the body, which is where the wine is sitting. There's the stem, which is what you hold, and then the foot, which is the balancing agent. That's the anatomy of the wine glass in a very base level. If you have a wine glass, it all has that same anatomy. And the shape of the bowl part is going to inform how you smell and taste wine. So what we're really talking about here is... Choices made in height, in fatness, in, you know, how skinny or how thick the rim is, is going to completely change your experience of drinking that wine. Now, that sounds crazy. And like, I'm not telling everyone to run out right now and buy like thin rimmed giant bowls with stems to drink and be chic with. But maybe I am. Right now, let's just keep going on the anatomy of the glass. It's really about aroma. And aroma is, you know, not only the essence of the wine, but it's how are your senses interacting with it. So wine glasses are connected so intrinsically with the aroma aspect of drinking wine. And I realize, honestly, that that 
fact is not that important to everyone. You know, if you see wine professionals, they're holding their stem, they're swirling their glass, they're constantly putting their nose in the glass. That is my engagement with the aroma aspect of drinking wine, which is a sensory act. And I think that a lot of people feel like there's too much pomp and circumstance in that. And like, let's take back the aroma because it really is one of the most beautiful educational parts about drinking wine is starting to differentiate and understand aroma and how it can inform you of how special a wine is or how not special, to be honest with you, or how corked or bad or flawed that wine can be. But I couldn't keep going, right? So now we're zooming into the 20th century, let's just say. And wine glasses are getting hella more exciting. There's a gentleman named Klaus Riedel. Klaus Riedel designed glasses. He was a chemist and he was like, yo, we're going to take this to the next level. And so he designed glasses of specific shapes for specific grape varietals. So Cabernet Sauvignon gets a glass and Pinot Noir gets a glass and Riesling gets a glass and Sauvignon Blanc gets a glass. And a lot of that is still true to the Riedel line today if you go on their website. But this guy really is responsible for elevating the diversity of how many different glasses there are and the association of a different glass to a different grape or, as I would argue, a style of wine. Because we would have thousands of glasses if each grape had a glass. It would just be mayhem. So the rim is also super important when we're talking about, you know, first we're talking about the aroma, right? And that is intrinsically connected to the bowl part of the anatomy of the glass. But when we talk about the rim, this is really important. I don't know, something about saying rim feels wrong, but it's my mind going to a different place. The rim is important because the design of a glass also affects how the wine flows into your mouth and thus how you perceive that taste. It kind of feels like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around, does it make a noise vibe? Like kind of feels a little bit philosophical, but it also makes sense, right? So if your mouth is drinking from a glass that has a thicker rim, let's say like, you know, one of those like margarita glasses that has like those big bubbly, full like blown glass rims that are blue trim, like, and there was wine in that glass, your mouth is going to be open in a different way to receive the wine and taste it than if you had like a pencil thin drawing of a glass, you know, which does exist that you're drinking wine out of, which is so, so insanely special. Drinking wine, I'm going to say it's thin rims for life. Okay. That's like my rule of thumb, thin rims for life. Now, all my glasses at home aren't like that crazy pencil thin rim. I'll get into the ones I have at home at the end of the podcast and explain to you why and how I use my different glasses. But if I wasn't worried about breaking them all the time, I probably would drink all my wine out of a super thin rim glass and would have it at all the restaurants. It's just like financially wouldn't make sense because they're so expensive. All right. And then for the anatomy of a wine glass, just because we're going to get into what wines go in what glasses and what are they all called and what does that all mean for you? A standard pour of wine, if you're going at a restaurant or you're pouring wine, you want to pour someone a quote unquote glass is five ounces. If you're doing a tasting, it's two ounces. If I'm entertaining at home, I like to pour between three and four ounces because I think a super full glass of wine is like a little gaudy. But most winemakers 
and wine drinkers who are in the professional sphere, we do designate between like a glass that's for red wine and a glass that's for white wine. And I think that is universally where we can begin when we're getting into what's the 411 with all these wine glasses. So let's start with red wine because I think typically for someone like me, I am way more picky about what glass a red wine would go into than a white wine. And I'll tell you why. The main reason is that red wine usually is going to have more complexity or the style of whatever that red wine is would warrant a better vessel to unleash its magic mic-ness. So let's start with red wine. As a very base level for red wine glasses in the industry, you would call it a Bordeaux glass, a Burgundy glass, or a standard red wine glass. Those are the three primary categories that you're going to see if you go to a tasting menu or if you're buying wine glasses. A Bordeaux glass is one that is going to be more cylindrical. It has a taller bowl. It has a normal length stem and foot. But a Bordeaux glass gets its name because it's typically for wines made from Bordeaux grape varietals. So wines from Bordeaux or wines made from Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot, wines that are made in California that are Cabernets. And it's not just French or California. There is thought, you know, a lot of people would argue to put like a Brunello Montalcino in that kind of glass. There's a lot of other wines from different areas that would go in that, but it's mostly strictly if you're getting really, really technical for Cabernet Sauvignon derivatives or that weight of wine. And the reason that the glass is cylindrical and taller and it's harder for you to get your full face down into the glass is so that there's more of a diffusion point between the wine as you're swirling it and you smell it and your nostrils so that all you're smelling, you know, typically these wines are a little bit higher in alcohol. And if you could get right up cozy with them, you would just smell ethanol, like you would just smell the alcohol. So this is allowing a buffer zone where then you can start to smell the tertiary amazing fruit notes or earth notes or, you know, non, you know, natural notes that might be found in the wine you're drinking. Then there's the good old standard red wine glass, which it's size-wise is somewhere in between. It's usually smaller than a Bordeaux glass and it's smaller than a Burgundy glass, which we're gonna get into next, but it has sort of like a hybrid, right? It's got like a little bit of a bowl that has like a little bubble at the bottom, but it's also tall. It's pretty standard. Like if you just want one red wine glass for your house, you could totally get that. It's really good for Syrahs, Malbecs, grapes like that. And then last but not least, my favorite glasses are burgundy glasses. I just love the way wine sits in them. I tend to drink mostly wines that would warrant a burgundy glass. They are like big bowls. They're like a big fish bowl on a stem. They're meant for lighter bodied red wine. So Pinot Noir is perfect. Gamay is great. Barolo is ideal in a glass like that. And they just sit like their own fabulous landscape. It's just really sexy and the wine takes on this beautiful aromatic quality when it gets that much oxygen around it because that's what a bigger bowl is doing. It's allowing for more oxygenation of that wine. 
So white wine glasses, on the other hand, slash rosé, are typically smaller, you know, as a rule of thumb, if you were going to ask like in like a fine dining restaurant or, you know, someone who's like super zealous about which wine goes in which glass, a higher acid wine is usually in a smaller, more concentrated glass. And then a more aromatic, fuller bodied white wine would be in like a burgundy glass or a slightly bigger glass, allowing more oxygenation, more ability to aerate that wine. Rosé is typically, you know, in like a, a white wine standard glass. You can like spiral out in the white wine category. There's like in Germany, they make specific glasses for Riesling. They have a green stem. They're super chic. Every time I go, I'm like, why don't I buy these and bring them home? Because it's like so hectic to fly with glass layer. Like, why would I do it? But yeah, that is the basic 411. Now, you might be saying, I am skipping over an entire category, but I am not. Champagne. Now, this is a really interesting caveat. A lot of people have very strong emotional feelings about what kind of glass to have champagne. Like it's sacrilege if you don't put it in a flute, like the tall flute that's really hard to drink out of, but kind of looks fun to hold. Well, look, champagne glassware started with a coupe. Everyone knows the coupe. It's sort of more of like a saucer. And all right, there's so many rumors about how this glass came to be. There's like Grecian wine glasses that are kind of similarly shaped. There's rumors that it was modeled after Helen of Troy's breasts. Like maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. But all of this is likely false, but maybe it's romantic and true. I don't know. Is it is it fucked up if that's true? Is it like the weird homage or is it like overly sexualizing women's bodies? Not sure. Or is it like breasts feed life and like grow children. And so like champagne does that too. I don't know. That's I'm all right, not a doctor. Okay. The doctor is not in, but let's fast forward 17th century. Champagne was really taking off. The bottles had been created with the thicker glass. People were super into it. People were doing like champagne slammers. They were pouring little bits because You'd have to like dump your glass over in between to let go of the sediment because this is like OG winemaking before a lot of the technology of how you make champagne came into play. Everyone was doing the slammers out of coops. I think Karl Lagerfeld made like another homage glass to some model's breast in the form of a coupe, you know, like so sweet. But the rise of the flute, the flute began to rear its head in the 1950s. Kind of if you think about it, it sort of makes sense because everything got kind of conservative in the 1950s. Like people got real uptight and they were like, no more coops. We need a flute. Like coops are way too edgy. <laughs> um, now I'd say, look, you see flutes, you see coops. I've never been a flute person. I think they are unnecessary. I think they don't make any sense. The argument for a flute is that it helps keep the bubble concentration of the champagne in line. But, you know, how slowly are you drinking that champagne that you need to, like, worry about the bubble concentration staying intact? I don't think you're drinking it that slow. So I'm coop all the way. But actually, I drink champagne out of just a regular wine glass. It's how we operate all of our restaurants since day one. So Animal, actually Son of a Gun had coops. It was really cute, but and they still do. But Animal and all the John and Vinny's, we have one wine glass and we serve all the wine in that one wine glass because it's a perfect glass for pretty much any wine you want to put in it. It's equal parts bowl, 
it's more of a burgundy glass technically because you know I'm prone to that but it, it's it's got a good amount of height so everything's not super scrunched in there you have room to move the wine around if you're getting like a five ounce pour as opposed to a two ounce tasting now my favorite wine glasses okay so if I could take all the wine glasses in my house and you know I had enough cabinet space and I had like delicate, habits and fingers, I would have all Zaltos. Zaltos are divine. Actually, there's like a glass even more divine than that, but it's so outrageously expensive. Like there's these like hand-blown micro thin Japanese glasses and German glasses and they're just so special, but like you'd look at them and they'd shatter. So I feel like Zaltos are good ones because they're super delicate. I would be terrified to use them in a restaurant because they'd probably all break in like an hour. But at my house, I can like control and make sure that we like hand wash them and are super delicate with them. I have a set of those and I really like them. And usually when Alex and I are drinking wine together, we drink wine out of the Zaltos because it's like romantic and chic and like sky's sleeping and we're just having a cozy glass of wine. But I also collect vintage glass sets. And I like to have these for when we have people over because they're not expensive. I usually get like four to six glasses for $24. I go to various thrift stores, not usually a thrift store. It's like usually consignment or like a vintage store. But I've had some real scores. And it's nice because I don't spend a lot on the glass. And if one breaks, I'm not like heartbroken. I mean, I am really attached to some of them, but they feel chic. They have a really good rim. A lot of them have a nice bowl size, but we're drinking party wine usually when we use those. And then I also have, if we have a big party, which we haven't had in a while, is we have like maybe a hundred like tumblers from Ikea that stack. And like at a party, I just put those out because I like drinking wine out of real glass. I like that tradition. I think way back in the day, whoever was like, screw the silver, screw the clay vessel, we should be drinking out of glass. I like that. So I always like to give that to my guests, whether it's a big party or a small party. Listen, I will link in the show notes specific wine brands. I also really love Gabriel Glass. That's a really nice one that's more affordable than Zalto's. And if you're interested in buying the glasses we use at John and Vinny's, I will sell them to you. So you can hit us up and we'll send those out on their way because they're literally the perfect glass. But look, at the end of the day, just have fun with it. I always tell people invest in one nice set of six glasses, maybe eight, that you could use at a dinner party or use on a romantic endeavor or when you're crying with your best friend or laughing with your best friend and then have fun with your glassware, get other stuff. There's no rules. I would say though, if you have a nice bottle of wine, try and put it in a nice glass because it takes it to the next level. All right, y'all. This is Helen and this is Wine Face and Truly appreciate y'all tuning in and listening to me go on and on about the wonderful world of wine glasses. If you want to follow along on what we're doing or see maybe some videos of glasses that I have at my house, because maybe I'll post that in alignment with this episode. Maybe, just maybe. You can follow me on Instagram at Helen's Wines. And you can go to our website also, helenswines.com. We have a wine club. We send wine gifts. This is all shipping nationwide. And you can also buy retail bottles. But you're listening to Wine Face with Helen. Thank you. Bye. Bye.